Hello and welcome back to the next episode of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in insurance and the insure tech space and bring you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. In this episode, I bring you Ollie Holden, CIO at the AA. Ollie has been the technology leader for over 20 years and started his career with a 15 year stint at Accenture before a number of roles in insurance and most recently leading the major top to bottom technology transformation at the well known household brand, the AA. In this episode, we hear all about Ollie's journey from starting out in consulting, moving from capital markets to insurance, and his journey into the AA where he found an underinvested technology estate and has now spent the last four years sorting that out. Ollie's journey has been a real step-by-step rise to the top, with some brilliant pieces of advice for those looking to do the same. A really charismatic and genuine guy with some impressive brands and achievements to match. So without delay, let's get behind the desk with Ollie Holden. Welcome back to the next episode of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas. Uh, This week, I'm joined with Ollie Holden, who is uh, the CIO at the AA. Ollie, thanks for joining us. Um, re- real pleasure to have you. Thanks for making some time. I'm sure you're really busy. As as we always do at the start of this, the best intro can can uh, I can give you a bit of background on, on you, but it, it's surely better coming from you. So could you just give us a bit of a, an intro on who you are, what you're up to at the moment, that kind of thing? Yeah, thanks, Mark. And um, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here. So uh, yeah, a bit of back, background on me. I'm CIO at the AA, been here uh, about four years, started my career about a bit over a quarter of a century ago, actually, at Accenture. Uh, back then, it was Anderson Consulting. Very wet behind the ears, didn't really have a clue about technology or what I wanted to do in life. Still don't, really. And uh, kind of started from there. So, yeah, so let's go right back to the start. So, um, Anderson Consulting, for a lot of people, that that's uh, that's kind of uh, a little bit past my, my time, but it was uh, it's what is now Accenture. So, so talk me through that. What what was the first role? I, I assume you went to university first, did you, and then and then went into yeah. to consulting? Yeah. So I so I I went to I went to university. Went to Southampton University. Did maths slightly randomly. I didn't particularly want to do maths, uh, but um, somehow ended up being coerced into doing it by my head teacher and my parents, and didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. Quite frankly, I went to the university milk round things and. I was quite taken by the the, the stand that they said Anderson Consulting and and they didn't really say what they did but they made it sound quite interesting. It was like you know you work with lots of different businesses <laughs> and um, you know we're looking for you know bright people, analytical um, thinkers, etc. And that sounds sound, sounds like quite a laugh. I'll apply for them. I ended up getting a job with them um, and. I remember when they offered me the job, they said, oh, well, congratulations. When do you want to start? I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, we take like 20 people a month. Uh, you can pick any start date in the next year. So I was like, oh, brilliant. Well, I'll start in a year's time then. <laughs> so with the with the security of a job in, in my back pocket, I, I disappeared off um, traveling and, um, and had a wonderful time traveling around the world, doing some sailing um, nice. out in Australia and in the Far East and South Africa and then backpacking through uh, through Africa and all sorts all sorts of fun fun and games and I so I rocked up for my first day it was the 5th of June 95 with a nice suntan and and a lot more hair than I do at the minute and uh, still not having a clue what what the hell it was uh, the, this company was all about it was a wonderful wonderful time so they, they at the time they they put you through a pretty intense six weeks 
training and they 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 hired people from any any discipline so we had history grads and math grads and english and god knows what else and we did three three weeks of code effectively teaching us to program teaching us to code in london and then three weeks doing similar in chicago which was just superb so it basically comes oh, wow. together with um people from anderson consulting all around the world and you um you learn kind of how to be a, a consultant um uh, it's a wonderful experience and then i came back from that and uh, they used to have schedulers and the schedulers job were basically just to assign you as an you know a, a wet behind the ears analyst to a particular client who needed who needed somebody to do some work and uh, through pure chance I got assigned to uh, the London Stock Exchange as my first client and I could have gone anywhere I had I had people in my start group who ended up working in the oil and gas industry and traveling the world implementing SAP. I had friends who went into manufacturing, into retail. I just, I, I think this, I think somebody said, oh, well, you, you, you did maths, you must be able to add up. Financial services is probably a good idea for you. <laughs> um, and I went to the stock exchange. At the time, Anderson Consulting had, had, were doing what I think at the time was that one of the largest transformational replatform and run deals it, possibly in the world actually it was it was very big and it was it was truly transformational I know everybody talks about transformation this really was because it was changing the way the London market actually worked uh, it was it was providing it was changing the market from what was previously a quote driven market so you have market makers who who always commit to providing a, a price on a particular stock to an order-driven market where effectively you can put in a, a bid that you want to buy or you want to sell and we do the matching. So we were completely replatforming and creating a completely different way of, of, uh, of trading. Yeah. I went there for three months, stayed there for four years and I did all sorts of jobs there, really, really interesting. Uh, the first job I did was something called service introduction, which back then nobody had really heard of that, that was service introduction. It's And it was ensuring that the platform that was built by a different part of it, Anderson Consulting could actually be operated and we could actually provide a service to to all of the, the London market trading companies. And then having done that and learned, you know, le learned some basics around, you know, the life cycle of, of, of delivery and I think I wrote an access database application, you know, stuff like that. I worked in um, customer testing. And the job here was helping member firms, trading companies, you know, the big trading companies, connect into the stock exchange, make sure that they could submit orders and they didn't get errors. And I, it was it was really really good fun. We had a we had a really fun bunch of people. We worked hard. We played hard. And I learned the I learned what service meant. Actually, that was probably one of the key things. Is actually what does it actually mean to provide a service to somebody when they've paid money when they've got you know something to do and and your job is to provide provide a good service i learned a lot through that and we and we partied hard i mean this was the late 90s in the city you're young you've got a bit of money it was mm. just a great great time really really good fun formative years yeah i can imagine so how, how long did you send you spend at uh accenture in in total so i was ultimately i was about i was employed by them for about 15 years i actually probably only worked for them about 12 or 13 because i kept one of the great advantages of a company like Accenture, um, and I know it's true for lots of other companies, is that because they're very big, 
And because they're very people-based, they have to provide good incentives for, for, for people who are you know, are going through life, want to do things other than work, maybe how to start a family or, or try something new or go traveling or whatever. And they offered um, leave of absence. So if you were an employee in, in good standing um, and you, you know, they were somebody you wanted to keep, they wanted to keep around, they'd let you take up to a year off unpaid to go and do something else. And, and I, I kind of took advantage of that a bit because as well as my year before I started, I took a, a year off in uh, 2000 and I took another year off in 2008 actually while I was working for them because well why not I mean life's short and back in 2000 I, I really still had the traveling bug to be honest I really wanted to go out and see the world and, and do some interesting stuff and um, I had a girlfriend at the time who was also quite keen on, on traveling and, and we kind of were like well I'm going traveling well so am I well I'm going to go and drive a Land Rover across Asia well actually so am I and then and then we were like oh okay why don't we do it together and so my girlfriend and I set off in a knackered old Land Rover and drove over to Pakistan and India and Nepal and various other places and got into got into a few scrapes which was compared to a, a year at work was awesome I mean it's 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 you know it punctuated some great times at work with something that's completely different, um, different kind of leadership, different kind of yeah. risk management or all, all of those things. But um, I learned a lot. And I married my girlfriend, actually. She's now my wife. All right. Nice. So I was going to say did that uh, it obviously was a make or break moment. It obviously it worked out right in the end. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's good. So, so did you, did you, um, I know that we'll go on to the story after Accenture and, and, and kind of the route into insurance, but did you start doing any insurance stuff while you were at Accenture? Did you, did you, is that, is that where you kind of entered that market? You moved on, obviously moved on from LSE, but um, yeah. how, how did that evolve? Yeah. So I, I, for after the LSE, I, I went, I, I, I spent in total, I think I spent about eight years in capital markets. So I worked for UBS for three or four years. I worked for Merrill Lynch. Uh, I think it was seconded to Merrill Lynch for a year. But I got a little bit disillusioned with capital markets. It's something I'll come back to, but it's it's it can be quite cutthroat. It's very money money oriented, as you'd expect, and at times it borders. It, you know, it, it starts pushing the ethical boundaries, and I just found it a little bit uncomfortable. Um, some, I wasn't getting a lot of energy from some of the people I was working with, and I I thought I need to make a change, and actually I thought, you know what ultimately i can see myself moving out of consulting and into a corporate world what would be the right route for me to to follow what sort of experience would help and accenture also had a very large services business which is effectively transformational outsourcing so a company would say yeah. look we we need your help we need to bring in your expertise to help us run our it better or our change and it um, capabilities better and Accenture had an entire workforce dedicated to doing this, and I joined that workforce. And the first the first client I went to was RSA, and I ended up again going there for a few months, staying there for three or four years, um, helping RSA um, under Andy Haste do a huge transformation. We we put in new systems. We basically took over the IT function and and Tupi um, transferred all of the staff over, and worked very hard to, to 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 create a you know really really strong it capability for for um for rsa which was a lot of fun i've made a lot of friends there and i'm still you know some some really good good friends i still work with today actually which is good 
it's interesting that you you enter into that that world and then uh, how, how did you find that I guess that's because um, I, I think that's quite um, you see quite a lot of people that go from banking financial wider financial services into insurance um, and and from experience I think they tend to stay in insurance so like there there must be something that's good about that that transition how, how did you find that well it, yeah it's funny actually because I remember you know I spent all of my time in pretty much in the square mile. You're working in a quite a rarefied atmosphere on, you know, trading floors and, and investment banks. You start to think, is this real? Is this the real world? And then I remember when I started working at RSA, we were based in Horsham. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Horsham, but it's a lovely, lovely English town, right? And RSA was yeah. bang in the middle of it. And it's like, wow, this is just normal. You know, I'm working with normal people who seem to live fairly normal lives and you know and talk about things other than money and I don't know I just found it just very grounding actually it was just far more kind of real than uh, than investment banking and friendly actually much more friendly yeah and probably mm, that's why yeah. I've spent an, an awful lot of time you know staying in insurance basically because it's um that you know the people the the people tend to be um, very friendly, very open, very um, very willing to learn, very willing to help. So that obviously took you to um, from my research about two thousand and eleven, something like that. And then what? So what was the what was the point that made you after kind of fifteen years in in, in consulting made you want want to move on and and, and go into industry? Well, look, I mean, it, it's a it's a pretty well trodden path that um, in a consulting organisation it's. I can't speak for them now, it certainly was at the time, very much an up or out culture and the route, when I looked above me in the organisation, I didn't really like what I saw, I didn't really aspire to be the people that I saw in some of the leadership roles. Now that's not true, there's some very nice people and some very successful people but the sacrifices that they were were making in order to progress in the firm weren't sacrifices I, I particularly wanted to make. And, and the classic thing, right? I'm a I'm a delivery guy. I'm much much stronger at delivery than I am at sales. And there is an expectation: the further up you go uh, in a company like Accenture, that you will inevitably have to have to do a lot of sales, which is which is great if that's what you're good at. So, like many people, I I decided actually, you know what, I'm going to move on to something else. And because I'd worked in transformational outsourcing, it was pretty straightforward for me to do that. It just so happened that uh, one of the one of the partners from Accenture that I'd worked with uh, happened to, to move to LV, a guy called Richard Warner. He he became CIO, so he left Accenture and became CIO of LV. And uh, and he gave me a call and said, "Look, I'm looking for some a couple of folk to to come and give me a hand." Uh, and I was like, "Right, fine, <laughs> I'm on my way." Uh, and that was that, basically. Um, <laughs> So I left. I left Accenture with very fond memories. It was a wonderful, wonderful place, and, and uh, as a grounding a company like that, or PwC, or Deloitte, or whoever, I just think it's a superb grounding um, because you learn how to do things properly. Uh, and what one, one of the things I'd say to anybody in any of those firms, or, or indeed in any large firm, is just soak up the knowledge. There's so much to learn from other people. There's so much has been done before you and if you can pick up and avoid the mistakes by learning from everybody else then then just do it and that's certainly what i did i think that's uh, that you're right i think a lot of people um 
you, you see uh, so many people who are in in senior roles in, in insurance and other sectors that have done that that consulting thing first and got that kind of rounded experience so i mean w- would you say if, if you were giving people advice now on 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 kind of how you get into well like you mean that there will be there will be hopefully people listening to this podcast that are various ages but uh, th- th- those in their early twenties who are who are just kind of starting out in maybe an insurance or just wider technology. What 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 advice would you give? Do you, do you think that's the that's the that's a genuinely good route to go down the consulting route to start with? I think it, I think it's I, I I think it is a genuinely good route, but it's not the only route, um, and there are lots of uh, the, there's lots of and, and by the way, I'm sure there's plenty of people who've gone through a consulting company and not had um, such a great time. And it, a lot of it depends on the partners you work with. It depends on the deals you're on. Um, and it depends on the roles and the situations. And and maybe I was lucky. I, I certainly had some very very good. Um, I, I worked with some very good people. I was very lucky. Um, this working in any big firm, whatever company it is, and it will be the same for an insurance company or other sectors. The bigger the firm, the more structure, the more method, the more disciplines are typically embedded. And I think. It's worth learning as much as you can in those big organisations because, you know, typically they they've got methods and they've got governance and whatnot because it works. And when you get to a smaller company, they often don't have that, and you kind of have to make it up a little bit. So it's a good grounding to to work in a big company. I think I think you can you can get a lot from it if you're in the right role and again with the right in the right environment. But it's not it's not the only route, right? I mean, you know, there's lots of other routes that you can follow. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, uh, I think that's uh, that's good advice. So, so obviously, then you you, you spent a few years at LV. Um, t- talk us through the, the the kind of progression then up into where where you are now as uh, as in 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 your first kind of CIO role. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I went to LV as what we call solution delivery director. So I was responsible for delivering all of the um, software change, basically. And and after a little while, I picked up um, business um, a chunk of the business change uh, responsibility as well. Really, really good time at LV. LV at the time was a was a mutual, so we didn't have all of the pressure of, of shareholders and, and the scrutiny of quarterly results and all the rest of it. Um, at the time, it was a business which was very much um, two P&Ls, the life business and the GI business, um, with some super, super people um, working in those businesses. And our mission within uh, the tech team was really to outsmart the competition. We knew that we would never outspend an Aviva or a, you know some of the big big players, but we could outthink and outsmart them and, and be a little bit more fleet of foot. And I think I think we did that actually. We we um, you know we successfully delivered uh, Claim Center Guidewise Claim Center. I think we were the first first to do that without using an SI partner. We did that ourselves. In fact, we didn't really use outsourcers at all at LV. It was quite an unusual um, setup that was a, a bit of an aversion to them um, for historical reasons. But it, it, that meant that you had quite a close-knit team or set of teams because we were predominantly permanent. You got to know everybody, you got to know their strengths and weaknesses, and you worked worked well together. Um, it was a good time. Very nice, very nice company to work with. I left LV after about three and a half years. I felt I'd done what I'd kind of gone there to do and slightly randomly <laughs> thought oh I, I think I had a call from a headhunter said oh there's this job and it's uh, for a telco and I was like oh I know nothing about 
telecoms work. Why not? Let's go and have an interview. And before I knew it, I I was having an interview with um, Dido Harding, who was the CEO at the time, and she's a very enigmatic lady, and uh, kind of I don't know. I before I knew it, I was I was I was working at Talk Talk. <laughs> I think I think I think what I've got to learn, and uh, well, I have learned since that point, is it's you, you can say no. You can you can you can be a, a little a little bit more more choosy about uh, what role you went into. But I was offered this role, and I thought, oh, well, that's 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 very flattering. I'll go and do that. And I was a, a a grand grand title of chief delivery officer. So again, I was responsible for all the software delivery and um, and change delivery uh, for Talk Talk, and that was a very interesting experience because I'd never worked in telco um, actually Dido and uh, Tristia Harrison and some of the other leadership team had all come from a retail background so it was a very very retail feel about the business incredibly ambitious some really really bright people and a completely different sector so it was really interesting to understand more about how that worked how a sector like that works versus a sector like insurance and to understand what the differences are, but actually how much commonality there is. And, and it's surprising how much commonality there is, um, particularly in technology uh, and change. The same sort of frustrations and challenges and risks and issues um, you know, exist across sectors. And probably that one of the highlights, straight lowlights of that time was the, the big cyber attack, the, the somewhat infamous cyber attack that TalkTalk Talk had. And somewhat foolishly, about six months earlier, I'd picked up responsibility for for digital uh, and and all of their online capability so I, was, I remember I can remember vividly sitting on my leadership meeting on a at the time it was telepresence so we didn't have teams then but um and we started to get wind that we we thought we had an attack and my my ecom director was like I think I need to just go and find out what this is and it got worse and worse and worse and 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 very quickly we realized it was a it was a very significant attack and i remember that period as an incredibly intense period my daughter always remembers it in fact she always remembers it because it was it was 2 days before her 10th birthday and so she knows the date right exactly because i was spent her entire 10th birthday on the phone I remember going to the ice ice skating rink and and still being on the phone and the poor you know waving as she as she skated past. Yeah, it was a very 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 intense period um, working through what was a pretty existential crisis for the company. Um, I, I can remember sitting in one exec meeting. I had died on one side and and I introduced myself to the guy next next to her and it was somebody from MI6, I think. It, you know, it was a it was a crazy time, crazy crazy time. Wow. But it taught me a lot about crisis management and how people act in crises. Um, and it was quite interesting because some people acted, their response was to be calm. Others were to actually run away. You know, it was real fight or flight syndrome. You saw people who mm. just did not know how to cope with it and others who who, who flourished in it. So, yeah, so so that was a fun and games at Talk Talk. And then after that, I felt I needed a bit of a bit of a change. <laughs> and... Um, I spent a year uh, working for a um, small consult- consulting firm, setting up a new service line, basically helping helping clients across all sectors uh, improve their change capability. So their ability to l- deliver change. So it was about ways of working, it was about operating models, about agile, DevOps, things like that. I felt the call of a another corporate role, really. Um, and I remember sitting 
I think I was sitting somewhere on my holidays in the summer of 2017, idly flicking through the BBC News app, and uh, and I saw this article saying exec chairman ousted after um, barroom brawl. And I was like, God, I wonder what that's about. And it was it was the AA. Um, it was a, the, the exec chairman at the time, Bob McKenzie, had punched the commercial director at, at, at one of their strategy away days. And had been marched out on gross misconduct. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh my god! I bet you know, I bet there's more, more to that story than meets the eye." And then little did I know, a few weeks later, I got a call from a headhunter saying, "Oh, Holly, there's a couple of jobs going at the AA. Um, would you be interested?" And so I went along for, and there was a CIO role and a transformation director role, and and the and the headhunter at the time um, said, "Oh, you know, I think I'll put you forward for the transformation role." Um, and I went along and, and met Simon Breakwell, who was the um, the interim CEO at the time, became permanent, and the HR director, Helen Hancock. And uh, about half half an hour into this hour-long interview, Simon just says, look, let's just cut to the chase. I'd like you to join. And I remember Helen, <laughs> Helen's jaw kind of hit the floor at that point. It's like, this is not how we're supposed to run interviews. <laughs> you know? And so I said, well, look, I'm still working. I need to you know, close out what I'm doing and whatnot. Within six weeks, within the, so it took me about six weeks to, to 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 get to start, and within that time, Simon had rung me a couple of times again and said, "Look, you know, there's a lot to do here. Why don't you just pick up the whole CIO remit as well as transformation and just see how you get on?" Um, and kind of that's how I ended up as a CIO, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster actually. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah, for, definitely thrown in at the deep end. It was almost like the, the the most perfect interview ever. That I mean, maybe that's a whole another podcast on how, how how you nail an interview in half an hour for a CIO role. So, well, I think that segues quite nicely onto where you've been. So, obviously, you've been been at the AA now for uh, three or four years or so, I think, isn't it? Um, yeah. And um, so, so what's that look like? What 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 have you been doing there? What's the journey been? What was the what was the the kind of mission when you joined? Yeah, well, I, I mean, the, the the initial mission was just to get some sort of control. Um, Simon Simon had kind of parachuted parachuted in as as um, as as exec um, as chief exec. Uh, he'd previously been the digital ned, so he'd been on the board a couple of years. I think we had three or four profit warnings in that half half year. Um, the business was one of the most, if not the most, indebted PLC UK PLC at the time. 2.8 billion of debt uh, against a revenue of a billion and an and EBITDA of roughly 340, 350 million each year. So, you know, incredibly indebted in terms of leverage. And it had been run for, for cash. It had been run for cost, really, over the last, the, the prior period. So nothing had been invested in. And it was a company that was really, really on its knees. I, I, I In all of my experience, I'd never seen anything quite like it. There was very little solid ground to work from. And from a tech perspective, I mean, I remember, I think I was three weeks in and we had a big SAN outage and, a, you know, the storage area network goes down and pretty much everything goes down. And after two days, I kind of walk over, you know, I've been getting, you know, reassuring noises from the IT ops team. And a couple of days in, I went over and said, like, who's, who's accountable? Who is in charge here today? Who is on, you know, who's on watch? And there was one guy with his feet on the desk. 
And there was another lady who was like, well, I'm looking after the um, communications. I was like, oh, God, this is really bad. And the more we dug, the more I, I realised that there were some fundamental issues. We had no accountability. We didn't have service contracts. We hadn't patched any of our systems for several years. Um, you, you name it, it was it was a mess. We'd, we'd outsourced, but we hadn't really done a knowledge transfer, so we'd lost a lot of knowledge. A real mess, basically. So that that was what I found. Um, it was similar across the company. As I said, profit warnings kind of say it's speak, speak, speak for themselves. So what we had to do was a pretty high energy rebuild of the company foundations, um, organizational technology, service, um, across all across all facets and that's that's what we as a, a pretty tight it was only six six or seven of us on the exec um, that's what we did basically it involves putting together a, a tech vision tech strategy a business vision business strategy um, investment plan um, it involved I think I pretty much replaced almost all of the team within the first uh, nine months we had to reset the partner relationships, which were, you know, quite a lot of partners taking money from the AA and not particularly de delivering any great value. So, a lot of work to turn the company around and put it on a sustainable footing. And there's some horrific stories in there that I can share. I mean, there was, you know, as an example, you know, a techie example, because there's lots of others. The, the, the data center when I arrived is in the basement of the the, the headquarters in Basingstoke. The headquarters are were built in the early 70s and had not been refurbished since probably the late 70s, an absolute dump. And the UPS, the, the, the power supply, was from the, the time when, it, when the, the building was built. And there were three blocks of batteries. One of them fails. And after a week, the the guy in, in charge of property says, "Oh well, it's it's all right. We'll we'll sort it out. So we've got another two. And we 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 started to worry <laughs> because we're, our our core system at the time um, sat in the basement, no backup, hadn't been turned off, turned back on in five years, I think, something like that. And if that went down, if the power went down, we were toast. You know, the business wouldn't would cease to exist because we had no resilience at all." Um, and when we swapped the, the UPS, we had to go onto generators. And I do remember being about a minute away from Armageddon, basically, because we could see the um, we could see wow. the uh, the batteries running down uh, as we swapped over. And, and if 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 things hadn't worked, we'd have we'd have had no company. So I mean that that is one example out of probably ten that I could give you of, of the sort of things that we you know the, the scrapes that we uh, we got into. But we've done the right thing. We, you know, we've 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 now got all the resilience. We've now got, you know, moved moved everything out of the data centres. We've, you know, we've 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 got stuff into the cloud. We've got people who know what they're doing. <laughs> we've got accountability, yeah. um, and 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 we've got the governance that means that that um, people feel supported and and we've got their back as well, which is which is a really really important thing. Sounds like. Uh... A real, you mean as as far as your first role in as a as a CIO, it sounds like it's a it's a kind of real journey. Um, I mean, where, where where would you where are you at now? What what's next on the agenda? Or you mean where where where's the business at now? Or technology department? Well, so the the main corporate agenda over the last few years has has obviously been 
the first thing was to give our shareholders and bondholders some confidence that we were a credible management team and we would deliver what we said we were going to deliver. Having had a set of profit warnings, um, they were right to be nervous. So we did that. We hit our numbers, um, which is pretty critical. And as I said, we obviously got service and, and, and the technology back in order. But with a balance sheet like the AAs, we, we knew that we had to do something. Um, you know, we couldn't continue on. You know, when you've got debt like the AA had, you're a bit of a zombie company because all you're really doing with any free cash is paying the interest on your debt. So you're never able to really invest um, in the company, you know, in, in, in growing the company. We knew that probably the the answer was going to be some sort of some sort of sale, um, and we um, successfully sold the company um, to private equity uh, earlier this year. Uh, so we're now we we we've taken off the um, we were taken out of um, public ownership and um, and are now owned by a consortium of private equity companies, um, which is really good actually um, because that's addressed um, the balance sheet challenges and it's allowed the business to breathe actually and, and to and to invest to grow and the great thing is it's growing on some some solid foundations which is which is you know which I which I'm very 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 pleased about and this and the you know the strategy for a company like the AA hasn't in many ways hasn't changed in 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 10 or 15 years it's it's a very profitable business it provides a whole range of products and services all surrounding driving and car ownership whether it's breakdown or insurance or driving schools or, or driving lessons and, and car finance whatever it happens to be but none of it's that joined up from a customer experience perspective and, and from a data perspective and the real enterprise value the where you get value greater than some of the parts is when you can start joining these things up with 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 common data common digital experience common customer experience and also connected um, because there's there's a you know it's the technology uh, has been around for quite some time now to be able to get data straight from the car um, into the AA so that we can we can add value through through, through customer through propositions that customers customers value so those are the that you know that that is the strategy we now have the foundations and we've laid down some of the critical parts of that such as the digital um, the the digital platform the strategic data platforms etc um, and it's now a case of kicking on from that uh, which hopefully we can do under the new owners as for me I'm I've, I've actually decided with um, uh, through conversation with with uh, with our my new boss um, Jakob uh, my new CEO uh, that it's probably time for me to move on I've been here four years and kind of done what I'd, I set out to do so I'll be moving on at the end of the year and leaving 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 it in the in the very capable hands of the team that are still there. It sounds like you've been on a real journey from them and, and uh, with them and, and and learn a hell of a lot of, of stuff that I'm I'm sure that uh, you you probably some you probably were expecting some fair bit that you probably weren't necessarily expecting um, by the sounds of it. But I guess I guess that kind of segues us quite nicely onto. Uh, the future. So um, we'll talk. I think we'll talk a little bit in the, in, in in a sec about the the future for you personally. But wh- where do you see the, the the kind of just more broadly speaking the insurance space now? You me- you mentioned about the data piece. I think that for most people is pretty key. Where where do you see the kind of really big challenges in the sector at the moment, and and kind of the the the, the main hurdles that the, the the sector really need to get over over the next uh, next few years? Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting because. 
the I think the insurance sector is incredibly innovative, and there are you know you, you only have to look at the insure tech um, sector to to see the, the the ideas coming through, and and um, so we're not, I don't think that we I don't think the insurance sector is short of ideas. What's hard is to turn them into things that customers really want and to solve a real customer need and to monetize them and that's that's always going to be the challenge right and um, and I know some of your previous guests have, have talked about this and have, 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 have already come up with some some good stuff I think in the general insurance space that, that the AA plays in clearly there's a lot of change on its way um, particularly through the electrification um, agenda you know, we are going to see a lot of change um, in that space over the, um, particularly over the next ten to twenty years. I mentioned connectors. I think there's there is you know connected capability has been around for decades now, but as more most modern cars coming off the off the production line now are incredibly connected, and I think there will be. Well, there already is a a, a lot of conversation about who owns that data, who owns that customer relationship. That will continue, and I think insurers have a role to play in in that space and, and indeed should be playing a leading role in that space um, particularly as you know given their position as a as a trusted trusted company uh, in the eyes of a consumer um, there's a lot of regulatory um, uh, work to be done for all for all, for all insurers and um, particularly in the general insurance space over the coming um, coming year with pricing practices which I think is good. I wonder. I'm not the expert. There's plenty of experts um, in the insurance um, industry, far far more qualified than me, to talk about this. I do. I've always wondered, partly as a consumer, why claims experience isn't a bigger factor um, in um, in in consumer choice. At the minute, it's cost, right? We go to compare the market or money supermarket or whatever, and we choose on cost, on price. You know, I I think as um, new new business and renewal prices have to have to equalise under pricing practices. I hope that that claims experience um, becomes um, more important because I think it's a good thing for consumers. So I think those are some of the changes. I think yeah. it's it's really hard to to monetize. I think for 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 all insurers, and that's why there's such innovation. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say about that claims experience. I, I've um, I've I've just had a, a, an example actually of someone that I know with uh, who, who had to get flown back from um, obviously not it was travel insurance ultimately but mm. had to get flown back for an emergency and all that kind of stuff and actually you suddenly think that actually that that when it actually comes down to the crunch that's that's actually what you're paying for right like yeah. the, the, the but yet we we don't really judge any of the you're right we don't really judge. When I go and buy car insurance, I just do exactly what you said, really, you know, within yeah. reason. Um, generally, just find the, the kind of most cost-effective and go with yeah. it Pure, purely because actually you don't claim that much, so therefore it's probably probably well, not that that relevant. Um, no, when, exactly. When you're it, making it, the decision. It's definitely true, and it, and it's. I think I don't think I don't think any insu- well most insurers don't make it enough of this in their marketing. I mean, I mean, I, I, having worked at the AA for four years. I would always buy AA breakdown cover because their service and their expertise is unbelievable. And I don't, I can't say whether that's the same mm. with with competitors, but I do know that I'd feel very safe in their hands when things go wrong. Um, so there's a little advert. Sorry, <laughs> I am leaving, so maybe I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. That's absolutely fine. The, the little plugs always, always good. Um, so. Um, 
So I guess, I guess that obviously the, just talk talk a little um, briefly about you, um, what's next for you then. So obviously uh, you're the first guest I've had on the on the podcast who's uh, who's actually leaving their their uh, their job soon. So so what, what, what do you think's next for you? I mean, bro- I guess broadly speaking, um, you, you mean do you think you'll stay in insurance? Do, do, you, do you you've you've been in the sector now for for quite a long time? Um, what, what what's your what's your view on the next next step? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd really like to. I love it. I, you know, I really enjoy it. And it's, it's, I know people and I, you know, I, I know a little bit about how, how insurance works. Not probably not enough, but, um, so I'd love to stay. I, I mean, it's a really, really, really buoyant time in the, in the recruitment market, as you know, Mark. And, um, I think there's never been a better time to be in technology. Technology is particularly since, you know, the, the, the whole experience of the last two years with, with COVID. I think, Technology and technology leaders have finally been valued, um, are, are being valued, and I think the opportunities for people coming through tech are are better than they've ever been. Actually, I really do. So for me personally, I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to take my time and, and work it out. There's a lot of a lot of deals going on at the moment, a lot of private equity um, money um, um, being spent, which is good because it typically means that there's you know there's companies with exciting agendas ahead of them and, and you know for me i just want to go and work with some really really good people on something that's that's going to stimulate me and make make me excited and want to get up um in the morning um and i think you know i think there's plenty out there there's plenty of plenty of interesting things mm. um to, to go and keep me busy yeah and you mean look, i definitely agree you mean I'm, I'm probably a bit biased but the uh, I, I definitely think the insurance space at the moment there's the, especially in technology and, and i'm sure there's i don't know much about the the, the rest of insurance away from that but te- technology at the moment um there's there's so much modernization going on isn't there that that uh that, that has to be a potentially a good opportunity so uh, for any any uh anybody listening that needs a uh, a new CIO, then uh, then Ollie might be worth a, a, a discussion. I'm sure they'll we'll, they'll reach out to you. I think the real the really exciting bit at the moment is that as technology leaders and as a CIO, I think you now have the opportunity to really um, help to shape the, the the wider business agenda, the wider business strategy in a way that I don't think it was I don't think it was very common that you could do that five years ago. I think it is becoming much more common now. And I think you, that that that's also mm. being seen in the number of uh, non-exec um, positions that have been created for people with digital and technology experience, or, or where they're looking for digital and technology experience. So I think to to back up what I said about there's never been a better time. I really think it's a good it's a good place to be for everybody in tech. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that actually. Cause I think I can't remember which episode it was, but I definitely spoke to someone about the fact that the kind of blurring of the lines between the CIO and the COO and just that those more kind of business-facing roles. And I, I certainly think that 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 I mean, from my minimal knowledge, but the, the what I'm hearing from people that that uh, it, it won't be too long before kind of an insurance company's got a, a CEO who, who who comes from a technology background, I think, especially in pro- probably more likely in the, in the general insurance space where yeah. te- tech yeah. and digital is, uh, no, is, is more of a thing, but yeah. I agree. So look, as we come to the, towards the end, as, uh, as you know, there are, as you've uh, listened to, to a few of the episodes, which is good. Um, there's three questions I ask everyone right at the end. So the first, the first one is, um, what is it you love about the insurance space? 
Well, it's probably come out in what I said, actually. It, it, it's the fact that it has some purpose, right? It's got a social purpose. It's doing good. Um, uh, you know, we, we exist to, to help our customers in their time of need, basically. Uh, and I like that. And having compared it to capital markets where it's predominantly about making money, um, it feels good. It feels mm. nice to be making a difference. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I, you're not the first person to say that. And, and I think... Um it's amazing how like insurance has a, a bit of a negative connotation with some people. Um, but yeah, actually when you really actually think about it, um, it, it really is just a, a massive safety net for people in there in the kind of time of need, isn't it? But um, I think people may, maybe, uh, it's, there's, there's certainly an agenda there where someone needs to change the, the, the kind of thought, uh, what, what the, the, what's it called? The perception of, insu- of insurance. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think you, you're exactly right. So the second one is what, what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now? Well, you've only got a few months left. So, uh, so what, what's the, the best thing about being at the AA right at the uh, moment? It's definitely working with a brilliant team. I mean, we, we, I, I have a smile on my face when I say it, cause we just have such a laugh and I, you know, it's that, that's what makes the job fun, right? It's the people you work with. And, um, I, I'm very lucky to work with some super, super people. So I will miss them yeah. <laughs> when I leave. I, I guess that must be must be quite satisfying as well, given that you you kind of it's rare that you have an opportunity to build a team completely from scratch um, and 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 change it all and stuff like that and, and leaving the business in in a in a really good good kind of space compared to where it was when you joined must be quite must be quite satisfying. So yeah. uh, no, it has so, yeah, been. It's, it's, uh, it's, it must be quite lovely. hard to move on yeah. as well. Yeah, it, it, and it's been lovely. And actually, I know you've, you've talked about diversity with with other with other guests. Um, I still, I think, you know, we could be more diverse, but actually, we've got some great diversity, and not just that, you know, through the normal dimensions of, of gender, we've got some brilliant experiences from different areas um, and with different, you know, career lengths and all the rest of it, and I think that that's that's a big big factor in it as well. Yeah, yeah, good. So then the last one um, is, uh, and as I say, I, I won't ask you this question, so you'll uh, you can say anything you want. As you've probably heard, we've had some 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 uh, some good and wonderful r- random responses to this. But what what is the question I should have asked you but didn't? <laughs> oh God, you know it's it's quite weird to go through something like this without me talking about sailing because sailing is my my absolute passion. And uh, so, oh, so right. you, you didn't ask me about my sailing. It's probably a good thing, otherwise, but this would have gone on for about an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, well, we should, I mean, to be fair, normally actually we didn't. We, I, I didn't cover that too much. But what well, you mean? What t- tell us a bit about Ollie away from work? Like, what what is the what what is the away from set? You mean are you you went to Southampton University? I went to Portsmouth University actually. So we were we ooh, were enemies ooh. when we were uh, yeah when, absolutely when we were at university. Um, <laughs> but but. Um, but uh, yeah, what what's um, what did you live down that way? Is that like do you, do you I guess you live on yeah. the on the coast if you're interested. Yeah, so, so I live I live on Hailing Island, which is between Portsmouth and Chichester, as you you'll, you'll probably know well. Um, yeah. I've got Good a golf course there as well. Apparently, I, I I have no idea about things like things like golf. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good for windsurfing and sailing. That's all I know. Um, so I live here with my wife yeah. and uh, three children. Um, and they all go to school in Portsmouth, actually. Um, and I'm I love water sports basically. So I, I we, the reason we live here is because um, we spend a lot of our time on the water on various various boats and um, dinghies and windsurfers and stuff like that. So 
so that's kind of me outside i mean i you know i i do lots of lots of running which is quite nice um particularly along the seafront i managed to run along the seafront this morning um so it's really just trying to make the most of where you live to be honest yeah yeah sounds good um right so then as you uh, as you also know like the last uh, the last bit of it is the quick fire round so i've got five or six questions um that i will just throw at you and you uh, answer exactly how you'd like to so um, what's the one piece of technology you couldn't live without it's probably my watch actually um I've got a I've got a yeah. Garmin Garmin As Phoenix watch. Is it like an watch. Apple Watch? Or... No, it's Garmin. a Garmin Phoenix watch, and it, it's yeah. it's superb because it just records everything I do. Basically, it's it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> Even tells the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, second one: which, which brand or company do you really admire? Um, I'd probably say Salomon actually. Because if you don't if you don't know okay. Salomon, you might know Salomon from skiing. Um, I, I've I've got a bunch yep. of stuff um, for running um, from them, and they just seem to be very good at product design. They just seem to spend a lot of time mm. and thought on product design, and the things that they design are just well done. Um, it seems to be, yep. yeah, it's a company to aspire to from a from a product design perspective. So yeah, I'd probably say them. Okay, cool. Um, so th- those that are, are watching this will uh, will see that Ollie is in a room full of books. So this is a really good uh, question. Um, favorite business related book? So on my shelf, you can't see it. There's a there's a, I don't have lots, but now and again you pick up the odd um, business book. Um, there's a book called The Goal. Um, some of you might have heard of it. It's, it's right. actually 70s manufacturing principles basically but uh, I know one of your other guests talked about the um, Phoenix project and I think the Phoenix project refers to the goal but it's it basically explains I remember my brother my brother worked in manufacturing and um, and he suggested I should read it because I was going oh you know my problems in IT it's all about I haven't got enough people and I've got I've got bottlenecks and he was like god that sounds just like working you know running a factory I was like well actually in some ways it is and actually, the um, yeah. the theories are very, very similar. And it was the it's it was I think that's one of the books that inspired the Phoenix Project. Actually, so it's worth worth having a read. Cool, good, noted. Um, the the first thing you would buy if you won the lottery? Uh, a large yacht. Where that's where it. would be? I'm going to add some insight. Where where would be the first place you'd sail it to? Caribbean. I don't yeah, have to think very answer. hard about that. Um, it's 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 well thought through. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. You I mean as we enter winter, that sounds uh, sounds like an appealing uh, place to be. Um, so, uh, penultimate one: um, favorite film or TV series? You can have one of each if you if you want. But um, what, what's your yeah, favorite film uh, or TV series? I would probably say House of Cards, just because yeah. I just love the. I when my wife and I watch it, we have to we have to stop it. We have to pause it every twenty minutes and go, "What just happened?" So who's? Why did he do that? Or why did she do that? <laughs> and I, I quite like that. Taxes my brain just a little yeah. bit. It sounds like me, me and my wife as well. But except for I'm the one pausing it, and she's the one getting annoyed with me pausing it just to discuss what's <laughs> just gone, gone on. Uh, but um, and then fi- final one: if you weren't a, uh, a CIO, what what would you be? Uh, I'd probably be a boat builder. Actually, I love making things. I really, really enjoy making mm-hmm. things because I think one of the one of the challenges of technology working in IT is everything we do is intangible, um, and consequently, I like 
making tangible things because I think it just offsets the, uh, the the you know the stuff that we we build in our day to day work that you never actually can see. Um, so yeah, I'll be a boat builder. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I always uh, I always used to say to my wife, "This is a bit so random," but I used to say to my wife, "I always used to." Uh, planned when i was young to go and sell boats like when i was in portsmouth there was that yeah. I, I remember seeing them selling yachts and stuff like that but ended up uh selling uh people basically <laughs> in, in, instead but um but yeah yeah it's uh certainly you can get into that when you live down in the south coast definitely yeah, yeah you definitely, definitely can. Can. i think you'd be very good at selling boats actually i think you'd be very good at it yeah yeah i always remember watching a bbc documentary about um is it um Sunseeker, I think it is the oh, company, yes. and like they're selling those huge, huge yachts and stuff yes. like that. I think they're in Bournemouth in Paul or something. That's like right, they are. Yeah. But, um, well, look, you mean um, we, we've come to the end. So, so look, you mean f- first of all, f- thank you so much. That was uh, that was really interesting insight and uh, on the journey and and, uh, and and all the kind of things that you you've gone through, especially the the, the, the AA stuff that I'm, I'm sure people have uh, taken some real value on. So, th- thank you very much for taking the time to to speak to us. Um, I, I always say to every guest, I mean, that there, there, there'll always be people that, that I, I think want to reach out, maybe actually even with a job in this this case, but <laughs> but if people want any advice or help, are you, are you what is the, is the best way through LinkedIn? Is that the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. And by the way, thank you as well for having me on because it's um, it's a real pleasure to be able to talk about yourself. Um, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's not something I, I often do, but uh, so I really appreciate the opportunity. But yes, um, by all means, contact me via LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, look, um, as I say, thanks again. And um, and look, guys, there's there's plenty more episodes coming. Um, so uh, look forward to catching up with you again next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash Mark Thomas and the number zero. It would be great to hear from you. Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to catching up with you again next time.